This afternoon we'll be finishing up these applications of being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the content of God's eternal purposes that are in Christ and how that applies in our relationships one to another. And so I want to read again Ephesians 6 and verse 4. We've already looked at what it means for fathers not to provoke your children to anger. We've looked at what it means to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And so tonight, this afternoon, we want to look at bring them up in the discipline, the discipline of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Just as a quick reminder, if you've not already engrafted this in your soul, is that God's eternal purpose, the the end for which God has done all things in Christ, is so that we might stand before Him in holiness and blamelessness. And of course, that's repeated again here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 in regards to the husband and his sanctification of his wife, so that Christ would present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. He even speaks of, in the book of Ephesians, about the Lord is raising up a temple. But then he describes the temple. It is a holy temple in the Lord. And so therefore, the aim of our fathers in the discipline and instruction of his children is holiness. That is the aim. Of course, no child can be genuinely holy until they're born again by the grace of God. Preaching Christ unto them seeing them come and make a profession of faith in Christ, to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord is the aim, because that is the father's aim as a husband for his wife. And that is the aim for himself. Take heed to the teaching. For in doing so, Timothy, you will not only save yourself, you will save those who hear you. And that is the aim of a local New Testament assembly. So that aim filters down into every arena of life that we are to walk in holiness. We saw previously that a father must walk in two aspects in their home. They should be gentle. They should have a tenderness about them. They should have sacrificial love and they should have an affection for their children as a nursing mother. These things are not signs of weakness. They are actually signs of strength. And then fathers must also walk before their home as a father, exhorting, encouraging, even commanding his children to walk in the ways of the Lord. And this is the way Abraham walked, did he not? His children were not all perfect. Some of them may not even have been regenerated. But God commended him because he knew that Abraham would command his whole household to walk in a worthy walk. And so a father is to rear them up in the nurture in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it is His discipline that we are to be disciplining our children. It is His correction in which we are to be correcting them. So here's the aim. Here's just some of the aims as we are reviewing some of the aims for our children, the aim for our wife, the aim for ourselves, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit like humility or gentleness, or patience, or a meekness before the Lord, or being teachable, to 
walk in kindness, to even walk in a righteous wrath, to be forgiving, to be thankful, to have delight or joy in the things of Christ, to be sacrificial, to be submissive. Our children should be able to look at us as fathers and see a model of obedience to the Lord. Hope, prayerfulness. They should see a father who walks in stability because he is growing up in all things in Christ. They should see a father who is mature, who knows how to be content, who walks in purity, who knows how to be giving, who is word immersed. And we could just go on and on and on with different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, from that biblical perspective, a father and a husband really has a job ahead of him. This is going to take every ounce of his energy to do this for himself, for his wife, for his family, and it's going to take every ounce of energy, it's going to take a local New Testament assembly that is pursuing the exact same things. And so we're to bring our children up in that type of aim, that instruction. And we saw that instruction here in Ephesians 6.4 basically refers to appropriate correction of our children in the righteousness of Christ. And we looked at a proverb that says that the way of life is the path of correction. So if you're in the way of life, and we'll see this again in Hebrews 12, But if you're walking down the highway of life, God's life, it is going to be a walk of being corrected. Nobody's beyond correction. I'm going to use a worldly phrase, but you can even, God has the ability to teach old dogs new tricks. Okay, God has the ability to renew the mind even of someone who's very settled in their ways or very aged. We're never to cease growing up in the things of the Lord. And when we become unteachable, when we become uncorrectable, Proverbs states that this is a person who despises life. Why? Because that is the way of death, not the way of life. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that all they that hate me Love, they love death. They love death. It's an amazing indictment of humanity that we would reject the life that is eternal to hold on to a life that is only temporal and deceiving and brings us into bondage. Now this afternoon we want to look at this third aspect and that is to bring our children up in the discipline of the Lord. Now I want to remind us here, when we read the word discipline, our minds default to punishment. This is not that word. It is a word that means child training. That child training has an aim. And that aim is our holiness, or in other contexts, our conformity into the image of Christ. So you're going to have to fight yourself, like I do, that when you read the word discipline, that you're not thinking something punitive or physical. It could include that, but think child training. Otherwise, you're going to to find yourself really in a mess as far as your own personal walk with the Lord. What is this discipline of the Lord in which we are to rear up our children? There are times in a believer's life where God deals with us, at least from our perception, unkindly. 
Now I'm going to pause here and let that sink in just a little bit. It is those times in which in our perception God deals with us unkindly that we begin to doubt His goodness. Or, if we don't doubt His goodness, we begin to doubt our salvation. God does deal with us at times in our perspective in an unkind way. In 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 6, it is written this statement. But his father never grieved Ananijah at any time, saying, why have you done so? Now think about that. A father never said to his son, why are you doing this? In other words, he never grieved him in correcting him. Everybody see that? Our father is way more wise than that. There are times, and there may even be seasons, when God's child training of us, His correction of us, will be grievous. It will be grievous to everyone that is involved in that arena in which that supposedly unkind circumstance comes into our life. And brethren, grieving your child is different from stirring them up to anger. So when you, when you read, don't provoke your children to anger, don't, don't just think, well, they should never get upset about anything because we all know, do we not, that even God's people can get upset and angry at God for circumstances. But yet God permits those things in our life. Our children should know what it means to grieve in a holy manner. In other places, we call that in the New Testament repentance. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians of a sorrow unto repentance, a godly sorrow that does no damage unto repentance. So when we're talking about disciplining our children, we're talking about child training them to maturity in Christ. It doesn't mean hitting them, slapping them around, screaming at them, or as I mentioned this morning, the young man who his parents shut him into a closet for weeks and put his food underneath the door. That is not proper child training. Child training them to maturity is done as God does it to us. That's very important. You and I, fathers, must understand how God in Christ child trains us so that we can child train our own children. God does this, if I could generalize it down, God does this in two ways. One, He does it by His Word. That's very important. Child training isn't spanking them all the time. It involves our what? Our words. Words of correction. Words of instruction. Words of admonition. Words of encouragement. It involves the Word of God. God uses His Word in our child training. But the second thing that he uses is that he uses providence. 
He uses severe circumstances. When I say severe, I mean severe to us. Severe circumstances in order to bring us back to His correction. And here's just one passage. It was good for me that I was afflicted. Why? So that I might learn your word, O God. Did you hear that? It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn. That's child training. And in a few moments, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12 where God is using severe providence in those believers' lives to reinforce and bring something in their mind on knowing how to walk worthy before Him. So He uses how many things? Two things in general. He uses His words and He uses providence in our life. Now there are levels of child training and admonition. And I'm going to use church discipline as an example of this. There might be what someone might call general church discipline. What is that? Well, that is what I'm doing right now. What am I doing right now? I am preaching and teaching from the Word of God, and as I do that, it's meant to either support and remind what you already know, or correct to renew our minds according to what God has said. So in that sense, God is using His Word to instruct us, is He not? That is part of our child training. And that is one of many reasons why God has ordained the local New Testament assembly with elders in order to stand and teach to both encourage and exhort and rebuke and correct and also to warn us so that we might think God's thoughts after Him. And that is a day-in, day-out, weekly thing that we do. And in our church, we do it three times a week. We gather three times a week, minimally, in order to do that. And children, you know, being in a home, how often are you admonished and instructed and corrected by your parents' words? Every, Every day, right? And so this is part of that day-in, day-out type of admonition. That is church discipline. Church child training. Then there might be what some have called private church discipline. And that is something may arise in a believer that is degrading a worthy walk and you become aware of it as a church member or maybe in the leadership of that church, and then you are, as long as it is still private, you are to go to them how? Privately. And you are to admonish them with the words of God. If they hear you, you have gained your what? Your brother. If they they refuse to listen to that instruction from the Lord then you might have to elevate it and get the leaders of the church involved in it. But if they still are obstinate, then we come to the third level. And that is punitive church discipline. And that is a corporate action of the body to actually remove that obstinate person from the membership of that church. But all three of them are intended to be child training with the aim of holiness and blamelessness before the Lord. And folks, you know that how how often do you have to do punitive church discipline? 
You don't do it weekly, do you? Okay, you don't even do it hopefully monthly. <laughs> okay. But it is a more, let's put it this way, it is a more rare thing. And it comes after heightening the verbal correction and rebuke. Right? Okay. So let's take another example. Just came to mind. It's not in my notes, but just came to mind. Take the church at Corinth. Did that church have problems? It had problems, didn't it? Paul wrote a letter dealing with the fornication that was evident there in that church. Then they wrote him back. He had to write another letter. We think that's 1 Corinthians. That's two letters. There might have been one in between 1st and 2nd. That's debatable. But we know there's 2nd Corinthians, right? And at the end of 2nd Corinthians, what does Paul say? To those who are still refusing apostolic instruction. He says, examine yourselves. Right? To see whether or not you be in the faith. I would call that punitive, wouldn't you? For a church to have to do that. So even there, the first level is instruction unto correction. Then there might have to be heightened instruction and correction. And there might have to be heightened after that. And Paul even told the Corinthians, as it were, you really don't want me to come there and execute this type of chastisement. So here again we see that the Lord is very, very patient with us. And we have to learn how to deal with things according to His measure, not our own measure. Now I want to pause here and I want to bring up an issue in the book of Proverbs. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. And I'm only going to look at one of these. And I want to encourage you in renewing your mind on how to read this type of passage. Proverbs chapter 22. And I'm going to use verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, that is child training, the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Everybody see that passage? And there's a couple of other passages that deal with the rod. I want to encourage you that when you read this, that you think, first of all, the rod is the correction. In other words, don't think rod, like i got to go out and get a rod, or as my mother said to me one time when I was little, do you want to go into the backyard and get a switch? And of course my answer was, mm-hmm. no. No. <laughs> I did not want to do that. When you read rod, fake child training, fake discipline, fake correction. And there are levels of correction, as I've already mentioned. Are there not? There can be correction when someone is not involved in the activity. Those are the best times to correct. Then there's the type of correction when a person actually commits the activity. And you have to correct them. You may have to correct them. You may have to correct them severely. You might have to correct them with warning. You're using correction as a rod. Because correction, correction stings. Is that right? Let's just think about it a second. You know, people say, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> the words, they, your words can't hurt me. No, words do hurt, don't they? And folks, there are times when I was a child 
that the correction of my parents was well received. And there were times when my parents' correction went against my desires. And when that happened, it hurt. It hurt where? Not back here, but where? In here. And isn't that where the Lord deals with us? He deals with us in our soul, in our spirit. And He uses the Word of God, and He also uses providence. Now, providence can involve severe circumstances. Or as with a child, spanking. That would be a severe providence in that child's life, would it not? But the aim of it is what? Come on, I've only been repeating this for three months. Holiness. The aim is their holiness. Not your removal of your embarrassment. Or they're not living up to your standards, but the aim is holiness. And parents, I won't expound on this, but there is a huge difference between a child being foolish or a child having an unexpected incident or a child acting in immaturity and a child acting in rebellion. Those are different, are they not? And we have to have the wisdom to know how to handle those types of things. So we want to look at what child training of the Lord looks like. And so I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll finish there in this book. probably no greater section in the Scripture that deals with how the Lord disciplines us than Hebrews chapter 12. These believing Hebrews were under severe providence. They had lost all of their possessions for the cause of Christ. The government had gone in. They had suffered reproach. They they were suffering shame in their community. This was a severe trial in their life. And you would think, if it was you or me, that in coming alongside to try to comfort a believer like that, I think we would come along and say something like that. You know, it's okay... God's promised to meet all your needs. Let's work hard to you know, restore all your goods. And what kind of money do you have to replace your items? And you know, we would go along in something like that. But the writer to Hebrews actually says to them, you know, beware of covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And they didn't have what? They didn't have much. Why? Because the Lord has said, I am with you. Now that's an amazing instruction, isn't it? And I would dare say, and I'm just going to speak for myself, but if I was in that type of situation and you know, I'm talking about this to someone and they just pulled that verse out at me, I would be highly offended and maybe even get angry at them. But this was our Lord's instruction. Part of what He was teaching them was to learn to be content with Him. That's a hard lesson. So what we have in Hebrews 12 is this, verse 3. Consider Him, that is Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now let's pause there. There's the danger in being corrected, isn't it? Can we grow tired of being corrected? Can your children? 
we can actually lose heart. What use is it? The Lord is aware of that. I remember I was in a conference many, many years ago. It was actually an instructional conference. I was there. It was a three-week conference. And I remember my wife, and I can still see the woods there. I can still see my wife walking, her and I walking through there. And I just said something along these lines. I said, I can't take this anymore. I mean, it's like every sermon, the Lord was taking me beyond, back behind the woodshed and just correcting me severely and severely and correcting me because I had so many things that were not in line with His mind. And thanks be to God, I didn't make it through the three weeks. <laughs> and looking back, I can say how thankful I was for that. It was an exposure that I'd never been exposed to before from the Scripture. But it can be wearisome. And it can get to the place where you actually are in danger of losing heart. What do you do? You look to Jesus. That's what you do. And he says in verse 4, he says, Now look, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Christ did. He lost his life, did he not? And then it was a problem of their remembrance. Verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Discipline means child child training. Nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He child trains, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline, child training, that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, child training, of which all believers have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Everybody see that exhortation. In the midst of... This severe providence, they had forgotten Proverbs' exhortation. And what they had forgotten is this. They had forgotten what God uses His Word and providence for. It was for their Holiness. Look at verse 10. For they, that is our earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good. What is the good? So that we may share His holiness. Everybody see that? That's the aim of the child training. That is the good for which God is child training us unto, or He is maturing us unto. And it's easy for us, brethren, to forget that. And it's easy for fathers to forget that with their children. I've, I've heard many parents, when asked about their children, tell me that they're doing wonderfully. When in fact their children are not in church, they're not reading their Bibles, they're not pursuing Christ, they're not walking and partaking of God's holiness. They're not doing good. Regardless of how much money they're making, 
or how many children they have or how close their grandchildren are to you. This is our Father's aim. The aim is their holiness. What do you think my aim for you is? Your holiness. That's my aim for me, for my wife. We should not grow weary in our minds when God permits us to suffer. To grow weary and lose heart is when you forget. You forget the admonition. All providence in our life is for growing up in Him in all things, or child training. Did you hear that, believer? All providence. I want to emphasize that. All providence in our life is for child training, for the goal of partaking of His holiness. Remember the passage in Psalm 119. It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your word, O God. Homer Kent wrote in his little commentary, which I recommend to you on this book of Hebrews. He wrote this. I thought this was very good and very significant. It was very helpful for me. When believers are confronted with the prospect of enduring hardships, they must understand that it is not as punishment coming from God's wrath, but it is part of the Heavenly Father's program of educating His children. Why is that so significant? Because we're wired by nature that if negative providence comes in our life, it's because God is mad at us. Folks, think about all the suffering that the Apostle Paul went through. Was all that because Christ was mad at him? or because he was child training him. And we have the results of that child training written down by inspiration, his epistles. How many times does Paul say, I came to this conclusion? Those conclusions were done in the crucible of severe providence. Now fathers, our children can feel the same thing that we feel with God. Our children can become weary of our child training. They can forget that you're doing what you're doing because you love them. They may actually think... that you are wrathful against them. And they may think that you might feel like you would have a better life if they weren't around. That would be a terrible thing for a child to feel that way. But if we can grow weary and be at a danger of losing heart, can our children be weary? they can be weary also. One commentator wrote concerning this passage, and I'm quoting, it's rather lengthy, so pardon me. It says, their afflictions, that is the Hebrews' afflictions, were not as their enemies insisted and as their unbelieving hearts were too apt to suspect intimidations that they were objects of the divine displeasure. 
that this severe providence is that God disapproved of their connecting themselves with Jesus of Nazareth and his followers. But in reality, it was tokens of his parental love. And it becomes the means used by him for disciplining them, that is, child training them for a higher state of being and a nobler order of enjoyment which Christ had died on earth to procure for them and gone to heaven to prepare for them. Was our Lord child trained? What do you think? He was. He was not child trained in His deity. How do you child train deity? But he was child trained in his what? His humanity. Do you think Mary and Joseph never gave him instruction? Do you think God the Father never instructed him when the Messianic verse says that he wakes my ear morning by morning, he teaches me like a disciple? Did our Lord have severe providence in His life? Turn over back to Hebrews chapter 5. And look at verse 7. In the days of His flesh, He, that is Christ, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the One able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Everybody see that? In other words, the crucible of life was the nest bed in which he learned what obedience was and how much it would cost to be obedient. And so too in our lives. Folks, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And the good is to be conformed into the image of His Son. Or we could word it this way, to be a partaker of His holiness. Now I think dads, moms, believers, I think if we would get that under our belt, we would walk better before the Lord. Because our flesh is going to raise up all kinds of objections to corrective words and corrective provenances. Now, Hebrews 12 says that God does this to how many believers? Every believer. Every believer. And I'm going to close with this. There's much more we could say. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't despise His child training. Don't faint when you are reproved, when God takes a different position on what you think. Why? Verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves. Everybody see that? He child trains. Folks, His Word and His providence are evidences of His love. I've said this many, many times throughout my ministry. 
the worst position anybody could be in is if God leaves you to yourself. Who the Lord loves, He child trains. Everybody, we all understand that, right? Verse 6, And He scourges every son whom He receives. This word scourge is a very painful word. How many sons go through times of scourging? Every one. Every one. You may want to write right beside that word, he scourges every son, this reference. John chapter 19 and verse 1. In John chapter 19 and verse 1, it refers to the first of the two scourgings that Jesus received before the cross. It's not talking about the second one, it's talking about the first one. And of course, you know a little bit about that scourging. <clears throat> what, and so I'll just, I'll just ask, direct our minds, would it have been painful? In Jesus' case, was it bloody? Was it shameful to Him? They plucked out His beard. They put a crown of thorns on His head. They beat Him with the rod. They mocked Him. This is that Greek word. He scourges every son whom he, who He receives. In other words, folks, there are times in which God's child training is painful. And that was true when I grew up. There were times I got I got spankings. I called that painful. Didn't you? It wasn't every week, it wasn't every month, but there it was. There are times in every child of God's life where his child training and correction can be very severe. And he'll talk about this. Go down in the chapter, look at verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be what? It's not joyful. What does it cause? Sorrow. Grief. Pain. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Or we could say, what? Holiness. And our response to this type of scourging is this word. Endurance. Endurance. There are times you have to bear under it. Now again, how many believers have these seasons? Last time when I preached through the book of Hebrews, which was 23 years ago now, I think at that time I could remember at least three times of what I would describe in my life. God may not describe it this way, but I would describe it in my life as scourging. And it was not pleasurable. I didn't ask for it. But it was needful. 
it was needful for my growing up in Him in all things. And folks, much of those times have come into play when I have counseled other believers. What a gift that is to be able to help others by which you have been helped. The instruction of our Father produces holiness. Verse 14, Pursue peace with all men and holiness or sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And so dads, when we're talking about bringing them up in the discipline of the Lord, are there times when you know that your correction is going to cause that child grief and sorrow? The answer is yes, but don't withhold that correction if it is needful. Don't observe their crocodile tears. Your aim is holiness. (laughs) Your aim is for them to grow up in all things to the Lord. And folks, this is what the Bible calls gain. It is our gain. God doesn't get better anything betterment out of His child training us. Who gets the betterment? We do. We get it. And we need it. If God the Father permitted His sinless Son to be child-trained, how much more do we as sinful children need it? We do need it, do we not? And fathers, may the Lord grant you that wisdom. And children, may you submit to that wisdom as you see by the Word and by providence God is building you up in the things of the Lord. Let's pray together.